All right, everyone, episode 112 with Andy Morgan is about to start. And just like always, this was another amazing interview. And probably 80% of it is because of Andy's British accent and deep vibrato when he's speaking this entire episode. Um, Andy was amazing. He has a lot of knowledge when it comes to aesthetic looks, when it comes to shedding off pounds and burning off fat and looking amazing, but he has quite the criteria to meet if you ever want to be his client. So let's dive right into this great episode with Andy. Here we go. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is a legend, Andy Morgan. Say hello. Hello, Rafael. Thanks for calling me a legend. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so I like to start the show asking my guests, what do you got planned for the weekend? This coming weekend? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of hoping to hit the slopes. Um, and that said, I have agreed to do three things on Saturday afternoon and evening um, when looking through my uh, Facebook event invites. So hopefully this podcast will go out either after this Saturday, so I can't get in trouble for that, and or they just won't listen to this podcast because I really want to get up the slopes. I haven't managed to get on my board yet this season because I've just kind of been crushed with things that I've wanted to do, um, mostly work-wise. And uh, it's been a great season for it from what I've heard. So, yeah, I want to get on the board and go and chase some power between the trees. Awesome. So you live in Japan, correct? Yes, sir. So in Japan, is like snowboarding and skiing like a pretty big thing? Like I've never been there. So I'm just kind of curious. Let's, let's, let's put it this way. Um, the number, it's, it's either um, there were 1,200 ski resorts and now there's 600 or there were 800 and now there's 400 okay. that are open, gotcha. right? And and this is this is <laughs> um, not a big like compare Japan with the states like on on a on a world map, right? Okay. If you overlay Japan with the states, like I think we're talking like say the west coast. Japan will basically cover the west coast, the main island, right? Yeah. And you've got that many ski resorts. It's just ridiculous. It's the most in the world. So, wow. yeah, they absolutely love their uh, skiing and snowboarding. The reason for the decline is because of the decline in the, since the bubble economy of the uh, late 80s, 90s. Um, but, yeah, the powder, Japan is known for its powder. Okay. Uh, and so not the longest runs, certainly compared with the Alps in Europe. I don't know what it's like in the States or Canada. I've never been. Um, but the powder is incredible. Okay, fair enough. So what made you want to move to Japan in the first place? Originally, it was uh, I was interested in karate, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was already doing karate um, back at home, and I just thought, all right, I'm graduating. I haven't got a real reason to go into an accounting job that I kind of think I should do, and... I kind of studied for and I chose this course when I was 17, but I didn't really know why. And so I just thought, you know what, I'm going to go travel a little bit more 
so I traveled in my first year, um, my first summer of university to India for three months, did some voluntary work and I backpacked around Southeast Asia for 13 weeks um, in my second year. And then, you know, I'm kind of left with a decision of which accounting firm am I going to go and work for? And I just couldn't face it. So I was like, right, I need to go away, figure out my life. I kind of like Asia. I was already doing karate just as a hobby. I thought, go do a bit of karate. And, um, and I taught English at the time. Okay, fair enough. So in Japan, like, do you have to speak Japanese in order to function every single day? Or is it one of those things culturally that you need to know a little Japanese just to get by? No. Um, well, the first four years, I mean, there's a lot of people here that don't speak anything. And you can get by. If you write out in the sticks, then possibly a different matter but in big cities you're fine what it does mean is though because like 99 percent of the population do not speak anything but the most rudimentary of english you're not going to have any deep conversations yeah but you might be able to jump in a taxi and you will be able to jump in a taxi and get where you're going or get on the train and get where you're going and the japanese are super friendly and nice to foreign visitors so even if they don't understand you uh exactly let's say you're at a train station and they kind of pick up that you need to go to shibuya for example they understood that much mm-hmm. they'll it's not unheard of for them to take you to the right train line wait with you on the platform until you get on the train. Wow. Even though they're total random strangers. Huh. Yeah, I feel like that would not happen in the States. <laughs> Maybe here in Canada, but probably not in the States. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, Japan is great for that. And I think because you have such a language barrier, mm-hmm. therein exists a lot of the most interesting um, moments that people can have when they come and visit. So if people are ever after a um, a truly unique holiday, because it's not really like anywhere else in Asia, then um, Japan's a great place to come and check out. Cool. All right. Uh, So for the audience, can you tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you get into the industry in the first place? Sure. Yeah, so I work... Primarily, as an online coach, uh, I train men, and the majority of those now are between 30 and 50. They're guys that are successful in the other areas of their lives. They are a little bit frustrated with their fitness goals, and they look to hire me to help get their nutrition and training dialed in. And these are already experienced trainees. These are intelligent people. They could read and learn themselves, but when they do, they find that they overthink things, and so they want to outsource that decision-making process to someone, and they choose me. And the reason that they choose me is essentially because of my articles on my website or perhaps a couple of books that I've written. Um, So they'll Google um, or they'll get a recommendation in some forum somewhere or social media. They'll find one of my articles. They'll find that really helpful. They'll read a few more. They'll find those helpful. A 
level of trust will develop. Um, and then when they're looking to hire someone, if they do at any given point, and I estimate this is something like 0.1% of the readership, then they'll apply for coaching and then we'll have a conversation. So that's where I um, earn a living, that this is um, half of where I get my um, knowledge from. The other half would be from, um, you know, the latest research or reading or, you know, just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. and, and I put the two together to help my clients and then I write about how I help my clients. Um, the, the other thing that I do is uh, I've written a couple of books because when you get a lot of people apply, you can't work with everybody. Uh, I'm in a very fortunate position where I get too many people apply. So, you know, I have to either have long waiting lists or stricter criteria. I've chosen to go with stricter criteria so that I'm really working with those people who I work with best. Um, and then I've written some books on diet adjustments and um, nutrition theory and training theory so that for those that um, don't want to pay for coaching or they just want to learn themselves, they can go and buy those books. And I'm just putting together some video courses right now. Um, so that's what I do in the English language. Japanese language, originally I started out writing a, how can I say, in fact, all of my websites, they're just blogs. They're just now fancy blogs, you know. Um, but the Japanese website is now the most respected fitness site in Japan when it comes to nutrition and training information. Um, nobody can really touch us. Um, I'm very fortunate that I've got a super dedicated, intelligent, awesome guy, Kengo, uh, that um, has really helped build that up, um, or has built that up, really. And we translate uh, the information of, you know, like Eric Helms, Brad Schoenfeld, Alan Aragon, and we put it out into Japanese. But when I started out with that, it was nobody cared. I was writing, I was translating it into myself with my own bad Japanese. Uh, and it took a couple of years really to gain any traction. But I knew that it was, I felt that it was the right thing to do. And I felt that if we continued, we could make a difference. And the reason for that is because, as I said before, there's a language barrier. And in that language barrier, there exists um, a buffer for a lot of bullshit to thrive. And the reason for that is if I tell you drink this special coffee and you will burn more fat, as a Japanese person, you cannot Google around to find the original studies to kind of figure out whether I'm telling the truth or not. But it is well within my power to hire 50, 20-year-old bloggers to talk about my magic coffee and spread some bullshit around Japan so that if someone were to go and look, look at different, you know, reviews and stuff, all they see is like super reviews. So I wanted to be a counter to that nonsense. So kind of in a way that my buddy Sol Orwell with examine.com run yeah. by um, Kamal mm -hmm. um, and the way that they are, you know, truly independent and they look specifically at supplements. I wanted to create something for the Japanese population, um, for nutrition and training more generally, not just supplements. So in Japan, is it pretty big now for health and fitness? Because I've been starting to see a lot more like courses coming out to Japan, like um, even Kevin Larrabee when he was with Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning, he was 
heading over there to do their certification and like the kettlebell stuff. So over the years that you've been there, is health and fitness kind of becoming a bigger trend? Certainly, uh, yes, absolutely, without doubt. However, I would say it's probably following the similar trends as we are in the West, okay. from what I gather. So in the last 10 years, more and more people are starting to work out. Okay, fair enough. I was, I was reading an interview, I forget what the magazine was, um, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty serious magazine, um, and it was talking about the, the change in the, the youth, really, and how people are now, instead of going to the pub, more and more people are going to the gym. And now the gym is the new cool thing. And it was talking about Equinox and their new yeah. um, business plan and their ideas to have health hotels, mm -hmm. which cover your gym, your, um, your sleep, your food, um, to cater to that population. And we're not at that point yet, but it's very clear when you look at the male and female uh, bands, the boy bands and the girl bands of Japan 10 years ago with now, mm -hmm. people have more muscle mass and more shape. It used to be that people were waifs and, you know, wafy, thin, I mean, um, was cool. But now having a bit of muscle is cool. Okay. So that's that's good to see. Yeah, yeah. It's, be, it's being valued more. Cool. So when you first got into the industry, did you train any like people in person or did you go straight to the online space? I I'd never worked in a gym as a trainer formally. I did train some people, though, uh, some of which paid me, some didn't. But it was more like a hobby that I was dabbling with, mm -hmm. um, thinking of going into doing that professionally, as in full-time, quit my job teaching English and do that. Hmm. But I was never a full-time personal trainer uh, in a gym. Okay. I think if I had done that as well as this, that having the combination of those two things could probably make me better, certainly in certain areas. Mm -hmm. And I would say that would probably be my advice to someone, um, certainly not jump straight into doing something online. Um, but what I will say is, given how much people I had a lot of experience being in a gym around people, mm -hmm. like every day being in there. I was a proper bro. Yeah. Um, and I trained in a very um, serious gym. So I think nine, like nine out of ten people in that gym either competed in powerlifting or bodybuilding. And just by being there every day, seeing those guys who some national level won – no, two, actually, like world stage level. Um, you can't help but learn a few things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, sorry, I lost my train of thought there. It's but all good. It, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, the next question I wanted to get into is like when you started online coaching and you said you had like a lot of strict rules, um, like, could you kind of go into what those rules are? Cause like the follow up question to that is, you know, when you get a brand new client and they're super excited that they're going to be online coaching with you, how do you keep them engaged on a daily basis where, you know, after the three week mark or like the honeymoon phase or just like, ah, fuck it. I don't really want to do it anymore. How do you do that over an online space? Because it's a little easier with like person to person, right? So I was kind of wondering your thoughts on that whole thing. Okay, I want you to come back to that second sure. question, please. Yeah, yeah. So keep it in mind, just because there's three points I can pick out there yeah. immediately. So the the first part, um, rules. Why do I have rules? Or um, let's call it uh, in client intake criteria. Mm-hmm. So. I'm very good at the narrow subset that I work with, but I cannot pretend to know how to work with everybody and anybody. Sure, there are some general principles that apply to everybody and anybody, but I'm not a specialist in applying those general principles to everybody. Just by definition, it's silly, right? Mm-hmm. So my niche, my niche, however you guys pronounce it, is working with this specific subset, which is male experienced trainees that are looking to, that are frustrated with their progress, they're intelligent, they are readers um, and thinkers, and they are, are not injured, and they're willing to um, how can I say? Generally, they've failed before and tried a load of gimmicks and realized that there aren't really any shortcuts and they're ready to actually get their heads down and put in the work in the right places and trust the process. So let me break that down a little. Pretty much everybody that comes and applies on the coaching page they already know whether they like me and trust me. They're only waiting to see whether what I say about their situation and what I think we can do together is something that appeals to them. And the reason for that is because I've read a ton of my articles before and I don't advertise my coaching. Uh, So, people aren't coming fresh to my website straight onto the coaching page and applying. I think it's important that they they get a feel for whether I'm knowledgeable enough or whether I communicate in the right way for them. So I don't want them to come straight to the coaching page. I want them to go and read some articles first. So I'm not selling anybody when they apply, really. I'm just telling them as it is. Like I look through their application form questions. I then give a really detailed breakdown of where I think they're at and what I think we can do if we were to work together, the timeframes it would take to get towards their goals. If they've got some goals that I think are a little bit too high temporarily uh, in the short term or or conflicting, say someone wants to gain muscle and lose fat, that tends to be fairly rare because most people, they choose one goal or another and I get them to read something first on that. You know, then I'll throw in some stuff that they might not like to hear, but they need to hear. For example, well, I think, um, you know, it might be a little bit ambitious. I would say, actually, unfortunately, 
you're not 18 percent body fat you're more like 25 so ultimately this means that we're going to need to lose 30 pounds to get to the goal that you're after not the 12 that you thought and which is super common and i know that might not be something that you'd like to hear but i think that's just kind of the reality so have in mind seven or eight months for this not just four and stay consistent and i think we'll do well now some people don't respond very well to that that's perfectly fine because i'm not selling anybody on false um, hopes and dreams which is key mm-hmm. to um, client retention happiness and good reputation the other reason that i have the rules in there so i don't want newbie trainees because i don't think it works very well um, with the online coaching i think people they need to have some experience in a gym first i can see people having some experience in a gym first and then someone coaching on tweaking their form via some form of video communication or video critique i can see that working that's not something that i do um but Really, I I strongly feel that people need to have some experience in their gym because otherwise maybe the issue that they're running into is they just don't know how to push themselves hard yet, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I I can give them a great training plan. Technically, on paper, it looks good. And I can give them the right nutrition for it. But maybe they just need to learn how to kick their own ass in the gym and really push harder. Yeah. Just look around your average gym. How many people are really pushing themselves? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So that's the reason for that rule. And then the reason I say readers, you know, some people they want to have, um, maybe they want to have a video chat, but that's not something I do um, because that opens me up to um, potential inconsistencies with the service that I deliver. Because if I'm doing a video chat, that means I have something in my calendar. But what if there is a time zone mishap or the internet is out or the internet is slow or I make a mistake with my schedule or I'm traveling and now all of a sudden I have Wi-Fi anxiety and this is a permanent part of my everyday life from then on. That's why I won't do that. So people that want to have a video chat, they don't come and hire me. And I say that up front. The people that prefer reading, and I think that's certainly enough people, um, they come to me. And of those types of people that prefer reading, I think you've got people that like a chat. Mm -hmm. And you've got people that like to sit down and read something really detailed and well thought out. And I'm in the the latter section. So I write very detailed emails and I'll check my email and answer email once a day. So there's no chat like back and forth. And so it's really highly considered questions and responses, which form a nice email chain and reference tool for people. Because I want to educate my clients so that they understand the principles and so that they feel free so that they're not dependent on me okay fair enough and many people they just end up staying just because sure they now feel independent but also they just like having that decision making yeah. um, taken off their hands you know yeah definitely and 
And then the other thing regarding uh, injury I have in there, I don't want them to be injured. It's because I'm not an injury specialist. You know, I think you need to go and speak to someone who has um, qualifications in that regard. And when it comes to injuries, someone in person. Yeah. You know, that's important. And I just say otherwise to people, make sure you can sleep enough and make sure you're not too stressed. If you're in a highly stressful situation right now, let's wait because that affects everything. And if you cannot sleep enough right now, then you need to sleep more before you try and begin. Yeah. So otherwise it's going to compromise everything again. Right. And often that's about priorities. Yeah. Um, so that second part of the question was, um, what was it? Oh, how do you keep your clients when they finally signed up like accountable? Like, do you check in with them every single day? Like, how do you make sure they're staying on track? Cause it's kind of hard when you're emailing or not doing your video chat or whatever other online coaches out there do. So I'm kind of curious for like your method behind the madness. Sure. I, are you calling me mad? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no, I don't check in with clients. They check in with me. They check in every two weeks. Okay. And they'll send over their data um, and they'll answer a few set questions that have them answer at their updates. And uh, yeah, then we'll I'll have a look at all of the um, data and what they've written. And then I'll um, pick out some things that I think have gone really well. Um, I may have to ask them a few questions about what they've written. And then I'll advise on whether we need to tweak anything or not and why. And then we move forward. Um, and the next update will be in two weeks. Um, this comes after an initial uh, consultation phase. So the initial setup phase where I'll give them their um, nutrition and uh, nutrition targets and tracking targets and a training uh, plan, you know, based on their preferences. And then we'll tweak these things just a little bit. So they'll give me their preferences and make these things. Um, they'll have a look. They'll be like, oh, could we perhaps swap the, you know, um, incline cable curls for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, that, these kind of simple things. Um, and then... I'll make my best guess as to what is appropriate initially, and then I tweak it over the weeks to get them to ensure that they're on that progress path that we planned for in the outset before they became a client. Okay. So we have a really detailed conversation before they become a client. Yeah. And then I'll send them the pricing as the last thing. Because I want them to decide on base whether they like me and whether they like the prediction stuff, and then I'll give them the pricing. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it's because if I take people's money first, then how do I know that whether we're going to get along? Yep. So we have three or four emails back and forth first, you know. Mm -hmm. And then if they just don't like my style or they don't like my response rate, then you know they leave. Okay. And and that's cool. Um, and, and when it comes to how do I keep them ac accountable, well, these people are happy with that, checking in every two weeks, otherwise they wouldn't hire me because it's very clear. It's clear on the website and it's clear in the email that I send mm -hmm. um, to them before they sign up anyway. Um, they're not someone that needs uh, daily, um, daily contact. 
I can certainly see how some people would. Um, and for those that do and feel they do need, then I'm not for them. I'd argue that most people do not need that. They yeah. just perhaps think they need that. But what that can end up doing is create an independency, uh, create a dependency mm-hmm. where people end up not thinking for themselves. Okay. So let's give you an example of this. Um, let's say you want to have a beer. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I've given you some rules at the outset, which were regarding alcohol. If you're going to have your beer, that's fine in moderation, but I need you to subtract the appropriate amount of calories from your daily targets from your food. So let's say your beer is 200 calories. I need you to reduce your carbs and your fats a little bit. So what would be a simple way of doing that? Maybe 10 grams of fats and 25 grams of carbohydrates for the day. Now, I've already written that for them in advance in my um, preparatory notes that I get them to read through before they actually start, right? But if somebody is, say, in the pub and they know that they can just send me a quick message and they know that I can respond or will respond quickly, usually, then the incentive for them to go back and think through themselves or try and recall, hang on a second, what was it that Andy said? He's now gone because they'll just message and expect an answer. And then that leads to this situation. What if I don't answer for three or four hours? The moment is gone. Mm -hmm. The client's now frustrated because usually I'm able to answer in 30 minutes. And so then there's an inconsistency in the service, and that's where frustration can come in. Whereas when I'm emailing people, because I do not answer emails from the same day that they're sent, I'll answer only emails sent yesterday. That means I'm always responding within, uh, I check my email in the morning, so that means somewhere between 8 and 30 hours. Mm Mm-hmm. For someone to get response, but it'll be a good, detailed response, right? Yeah. And that's perfectly fine when people know that that's what's happening because it's always consistent. Okay, fair that enough. That makes sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and the other thing that keeps people on, on, on track really is, you know, they're paying a good amount of money and that's their skin in the game. Mm-hmm. And... It's very clear that when you work with someone who's pretty wealthy, that their adherence tends to go down because their buy-in is lower because the amount they're paying means less to them. Yeah. And I'm just not willing to charge more based on someone's income. Yeah. I haven't found out. uh, I could make an argument why that is better, but I just can't find a way that um, ethically I find comfortable and... Um, practically would work. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm also kind of curious about like your success rate with the people applying and when they finally get through the doors and they have access to you and, you know, the typical guys, like, I just want a six pack. Can I do it in eight months? And they're going through those steps. And do you ever have someone like realize, holy shit, this is a lot of work. Maybe I don't want this. Like, have you ever dealt with something like that where they realize that they can't, they just don't want it hard enough? 
Sure. Um, so I think there's two steps to this question. There's the people that apply. How many people that apply become clients and how many clients are successful in the goals that we set out with, right? Yeah. So if we take the first part, I'd say about one in 10 people who apply for coaching become coaching clients. People will apply with a little form that just they have to write their name, email address and check some boxes to make to say, yes, I've understood the um, intake requirements. I'll then email them an application form when I have a coaching space available. And 50% of people do not respond to that because they suddenly see how detailed I am mm -hmm. and the level of detail I want in the responses. And in fact, I say to them at the top, I said, look, I usually spend 20 to 30 minutes responding here, giving you a detailed outline of where you're at, what I think we should do, and why. And that's free. But I need you to put in effort with your answers. And here are my 12 questions, and here are some example answers to make it even easier for you. But look at the level of detail there, put in the same level of detail back, or do not bother. And 50% of people are like, Ooh, I'm out, <laughs> right? Which is great because it cuts out those that weren't serious anyway, right? Yeah. Or weren't fit for that or, or thought, oh, shit. So then I'm down to five, right? So then um, I will lose perhaps two at the um, two to three at the suggestion um, prediction phase. Because I'll write some, either I'll read through their application and I'll be like, you know what, I don't think we're a good fit because of X, Y, Z. I think you just need to do this right now or hire this person or tweak that and you'll get the result you want. You don't need to hire me or you shouldn't hire me. So that will lose someone. Or perhaps I say something and what I think we can achieve in the timeline that I think we can achieve it just does not match up with the what they have in mind, because they've probably read a few too many muscle max. <laughs> right? yeah. With uh, yeah. some exaggerated claims, let's say. And so I lose someone on there. So then that brings me down to, say, two and a half people uh, who are out of those 10 who are like, yeah, right, I want this. Um, I agree with that. So what's the pricing and the, and the package they offer? And I'll send that pricing email, and about one out of those two and a half people would be, yep. Fuck yes, I'm in. Excuse my language. That's all good. Mm. I actually get them to write that, and that's based on a Mark Manson uh, article called The Law of Fuck Yes or No. Yeah. Um, and I say to them, look, this has to be a fuck yes for you, because if it's not, please say no. So I want you to be excited about this. And then I link them, and I explain kind of why. Mm -hmm. So that's that. So about one in ten. So what do you think of that number? Well, I think when you're getting to that point, like when you actually have a client that's jumped through hoops and hurdles, like they're probably going to be pretty consistent when you're coaching them. So I'm assuming it, it hasn't happened where you've been coaching somebody and they just fell off the wagon completely. I mean, I've worked with over a thousand people now. I've seen yeah. everything. Yeah. I do my best, but, you know, stuff comes up, things happen. Yeah. But I do my damnedest to make sure that everybody, that I vet everyone who comes through the doors so that they're not just going to be throwing money away mm -hmm. and wasting their money and my time. Yeah. I don't want that. I don't want anyone to be unhappy. 
And sometimes, you know, you have to kick some asses if motivation dips. Sometimes you need to be there to reassure people that things are looking on track. Sometimes you have to remind people of, okay, well, let's go back to your why. Why was it that you wanted this? Do you remember that? Right. So let's let's do this. Why does this mean this to you? Um, that's kind of where the art of coaching comes in, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to all just the technical tweaks. Oh, well, the average fat loss rate has been uh, 0.5 of a pound over the last six weeks. Therefore, I'm going to increase the caloric deficit by 250 calories. And I think we should perhaps do that uh, by an adjustment of uh, 35 grams of um, carbohydrate from the diet and 10 grams of fat, right? I mean... Those are the technical sides of things. Now that I've confirmed that your sleep, your stress levels are low enough and that's not the cause and we're not likely to have any water retention and your training is progressing as planned. And, you know, those are kind of the technical parts of it. But a lot of coaching is just being being human when people need it. And some people need that more than others. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so let's go to some Facebook questions because uh, I have a pet peeve of mine when I listen to podcasts and I send in a question and it never gets answered. So um, the first one is how can his intermediate bodybuilding routine can be accommodated to four days a week? Sure. So for those listening, if you want to uh, go and have a look at this routine, you go to uh, ripbody.com forward slash intermediate hyphen bodybuilding hyphen program this is a program from our muscle and strength pyramid training book that i did with eric helms and andrea valdez so it's a five-day program how would you put that into a four-day um i thought honestly it was it's on there as a four-day option perhaps not perhaps i'm i'm getting confused anyway you just take all the exercises that we've got in there and put them into four days in a way that you find it compromises your recovery the least. So just add them in to your other days. So let's say you've got six exercises on that day. That fifth day, perhaps you have two on day one, one on day two, one on day three, one on day four, boom, done. Yeah. And then if you find that you struggle to recover from that, then you could just leave some off Mm -hmm. and then see how you go and progress things from there. That's all. Easy. These Uh, these are, it, it, it is easy, but people get wrapped up in thinking that if I cannot do something exactly as it is written, it is not going to work. And that's just not, that's not, um, that's not true. Um, I think there's a lot of people they want we want solutions we want answers and so people go out and they try to buy or get for free solutions and clear 
answers. But ultimately, in the long term, the only way you're going to get the answer for yourself is to understand the principles. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I try to be when it comes to writing and with coaching. I try to be a teacher so that people understand the principles. They understand the why because that then sets them free. You know, so why do we have five days in that bodybuilding program? Well, because we need approximately that amount of training volume, that amount of sets and exercises. And if we spread it over four days, it's going to be more difficult to recover from than if it were five days. So we put it across five days. But that doesn't mean that you cannot do the same, but cram it into four days and it not work, quote unquote. Fair enough, yeah. Like I find a lot of times when like when I post on social media or write something, I always get when people reach out, always kind of the same questions. And, you know, like there's been so many articles written before my time that touched on the same topic, but people always kind of come back to the really easy stuff that you think they would know, but it's like I think there's like a disconnect almost that people are not really reading into what they want, if that makes sense. Like, you know, especially now if people are scrolling through Facebook and they see an article about three exercises for fat loss or whatever, they're like, oh, that's cool. They'll look at it, but not actually take the time to read it completely. And they just kind of bypass all the good information. And then, you know, if they see that I'm interviewing somebody, they'll ask me basic questions, but I don't know. I think people just need to take the time a little bit to kind of get to where they want. I'm kind of rambling now, but it's just the thing I've been thinking about. It's like I always see the same questions over and over again. And maybe this could lead into my next question for you is like. Actually, can I jump in? Sure, yeah, yeah. Because like I fully agree with that. But I think it comes down to. When we're interested enough in something, when we're frustrated enough, when we Mm -hmm. want something enough, then we're prepared to focus and seek out detailed information. Up until that point, it's pretty much wasted, Mm -hmm. right? But at that point, that's when articles like I write, these detailed, (laughs) principle-based Articles with some caveats and not just clear answers sometimes become appealing to people and useful for people. And up until that point, a site like mine is dead to them because they just want these three quick tips. And that's fine because the way I've written my website, how are you for swearing? Um, you can go for it. Don't worry. <laughs> so, like, I, I think of my website as a focus or fuck off policy. Right. So I'm going to write how I'm going to write. And I try to write succinctly as possible and as clearly as possible. But there are some points that I need to get in here and some caveats that I need to get in here. And that is going to take a certain amount of writing. And if you're not prepared to focus and read those and you just want an answer, well, I'm not prepared to give that because I cannot give an answer without compromising my integrity and information and possibly fucking you up. Mm-hmm. So therefore, go away, come back after you've gone away, wasted hours each week for 
years perhaps, fallen on your face, you're now bleeding, pissed off, upset with the industry, and you're going to go one or two paths. You're going to either quit or you're going to be like, well, shit, now I'm going to get serious and I'm going to read something like Greg Knuckles puts out mm -hmm. or Eric Helms writes or like, McDonald writes, you know? Yeah. At that point, this level of detail becomes appealing, right? Yeah. But up until that point, you cannot really reach out and try and sell these people on it because they still want to believe in these shortcuts and little tips, yeah. which will work sometimes, right? In these tips articles, there are nuggets of truth in there, but without the context, very often, it's... It's it's going to be meaningless for them. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, maybe for the last question, because we're coming up to an hour, is what is the? I can carry on if you want to. Sure. Go. So yeah. You have like long, detailed answers, which is great. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the one thing I like to ask is like, what is the one question you wish people asked you more? Because like. I imagine you get people flooding your website, asking you the same things over and over again. How much protein should I be eating? How much fat should I be eating? How do I get shredded? Blah, 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 blah. But like, what's the one question you wish people asked you more? The one article that I wish people read more was the tracking article, mm. which is basically talking about how I get my clients to track their progress online because I work in, I work online, I work via email, um, and that gives me all of the objective data points that I need to um, gauge whether they are uh, on track or not. Because I think too often people just use the scale weight in the mirror, but yeah. the mirror is going to mess with your head because your brain adapts to how we look. And I won't go into the the geek of that, but. Um, you cannot trust your eyes, basically. And then when you're looking at scale weight, you're not able to tease out the um, the differences in body composition. And your scale weight is going to fluctuate anyway. So you need to be looking at averages. You need to do it at the same time of day. I also recommend people take body measurements and measure in nine different places on the body, uh, three on the stomach, one on the hips included, as well as the limbs and then at the chest and back. Mm -hmm. And that's all on the website as well. If you want to have a look at that, and perhaps you could post a link in the show notes uh, for yeah, us. Yeah, definitely. People reading. Um, and then I get people to track their, their sleep, stress, fatigue, and uh, hunger levels. Because this is all relevant to your decisions as well. Nice. Um, that is my <laughs> alarm. I'm just going to let that play. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's my alarm to... Uh, Remind me, sorry, to post on Instagram, which is something I'm trying to do nice. uh, now twice a day. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what I wish people would read because a lot of people's questions, they're just, am I doing everything I can and am I on track? And that is the source of their questions. But if they're not tracking objectively, how do they know that they're on track? Yeah. And people, they'll go and reach for these um, BMI machines in their gym, um, which, sorry, not BMI machines, BIA machines um, that measure body fat or yeah. try to measure body fat via a proxy of 
some other things, water content in the body, resistance, um, and electrical current pass through the body, which they have these inaccuracies and inconsistencies and cannot be trusted. And, you know, people might use those or they use these other subjective measures like um, looking in a mirror or the scale weight and they get screwed up. But if they had the data, then they wouldn't. They would know categorically whether they're on track. So then it's just a case of adjusting from that point. So I think that's where a lot of people miss out. Uh, They're not prepared to do 10 minutes of simple logging and measuring a week Mm -hmm. when they're prepared to do (laughs) what four, five hours in the gym plus zero to five hours getting there and back and showering and how much food time do we spend on getting our food right mm-hmm. <laughs> then people won't log it's just insane yeah yeah um so another question i wanted to bring up is like what have you failed at going through your career that you look back at that it was almost like a tipping point where you're like if i didn't do that i would have been so much further ahead in my career and I was wondering if you could like share an example of that. If you can think of anything. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um Okay, so learning how to So that's, that's probably three. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> so early on, um I, I used to be very skinny. I'm I'm very tall. I'm six foot two and a half. And I'm not a big guy. I'm not one of these guys that goes and walks in the weight section, breathes in the air, and all of a sudden gets jacked. And, you know, this is this is kind of upsetting because a lot of people in my industry are super jacked. And part of that is um, selection bias. People who do really well in weights kind of get told that, you know, they know a lot about lifting the heavies and should perhaps coach people and therefore they're in your industry. I'm in the industry through pure frustration at my own physique. And I think looking at some of the best guys in the industry, like the best, most knowledgeable dudes, very often they're just, they've scratched their own itch and frustrations to the extreme, which is why they're knowledgeable, right? (laughs) Because they had, they weren't blessed. Yeah. Um, so one issue that I had when I was super skinny, um, I'm all right now. I have clients in who are most certainly more jacked than me. Like, like absolutely. Yeah. But I started out, and I, was, I think I was 140, 150, uh, 68 kilos at the age of 15, 16. So what's that? It's like 150, something like that, yeah, yeah. pounds. At six foot two. I'm sort of real skinny, you know? Yeah. And um, I went to the gym and I got up to 72 uh, just fairly quickly, 72, 73. And then, you know, I kind of hovered around that level for a good while and nothing really happened. And it's because I didn't know. My body wasn't telling me eat more, eat more. Not really. And also, at the same time, I was worried about staying lean and not getting fat and trying to get a six pack. So I spun my wheels 
Whereas yeah. if I'd have eaten enough at that time and not worried so much about getting a six pack, but growing so that I would have a six pack worth having when I chiseled down, then that would have done me a lot of good. Because back when you're that age, that's the best time to be putting on slabs of muscle. Yeah. So you can recover well and all the rest, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's that's probably what would have had the biggest impact for me. Okay. Um, I think it's easy. I think a lot of people get stuck when they're kind of skinny fat, like I was. I was more skinny, skinny fat, or skinny fat, skinny. Um, I think ah, six pack, got to get a six pack, and it just it stops them from developing a physique worth having a six pack on because you can't chisel a pebble and get that Greek god statue. Right? You need to have a big rock in the first place from which to chisel down. So you've got to eat so that you become that boulder, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a big issue I had. Then I would say later on, a big aha moment was understanding the importance of nutrition when it comes to especially losing fat and getting in shredded condition. Um, I didn't really, I thought it was more about training and supplements, mm-hmm. and now I know better. Yeah. Uh, so that was that was a big thing. That was a big uh, uh, thing for me. I used to think that it was, you had to eat six meals a day. I think it wasn't just me, it was the whole industry. We're mm-hmm. taught that you have to eat six, seven meals a day. And I kind of discovered that just wasn't true one day when a friend of mine, Steve, he lifts up his shirt in the gym and he's like, wow, and I haven't seen him in two months. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and he's looking super ripped. And I was like, oh, and he goes, yeah, man, and I've been eating pizza and I've only been eating twice a day and I haven't been taking any supplements. Boom. And I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, go, go read leangains.com. So it's like, yeah. okay. Because all of this was like, what? So we went and read leangains.com and I was like, no, shit, the whole industry's lied to me. What? Yeah. What? And uh, yeah, then that really super opened my eyes to um, kind of the crap that's in the industry and how simple things can be when you've got the underlying principles in place of calories and macros. Mm -hmm. So I'm very thankful for that moment for my friend Steve Levesque and for Martin Birkin's website. And then subsequently for Alan Aragon and looking at him and the way that he conducts himself and what he does in the industry and really thinking to myself, yeah, a career in a fitness industry is legit. Look at what this guy's doing. This is legit. Mm-hmm. I don't need to go get some big corporate job to feel that I'm making use of my education, so to speak. Yeah. No, I can I can do this. This is legit. Yeah. So Awesome. So I'm going to have to stop it there because I got to get ready for the gym and train a bunch of clients. But yeah, uh, so for the very, very last question, where can people sure. find you online? Do you have any projects coming out or anything else you want to plug? You can go ahead. Um, yeah, so if you ripbody.com through there, you can pretty much find everything. Uh, you can find my articles or you can find my podcast uh, if you prefer. Um, I've done some interviews with some of the guys who I consider to be the best coaches and researchers in the industry, um, which I know um, you're doing as well, and I'm very flattered to be on. Thank you for asking. No problem. 
Um, if you prefer, just jump to um, books rather than read through individual articles. Then I've written the Muscle and Strength Pyramid books with Eric Helms and Andrew Valdes. This is Nutrition and Training Setup, and that's at muscleandstrengthpyramids.com. Um, I've also written, if you're interested in learning more about the the mechanics of how I coach and how I make decisions for my clients, what I look for, and examples of client data, then I've got um, a book that I've written about that. It's called The Last Shred, and you'll just find that on the website. So that's ripbody.com, and then just click on the books um, in the menu there. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time. This was amazing. Thanks, Rafael. Appreciate it. No problem. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 112 with Andy Morgan. Hopefully you enjoyed that one. And a little side note, this interview was the first interview I did through a video chat, which was interesting because usually on Fridays, this is the first thing I do. I'm in my pajamas still having my coffee and I look like complete shit. So that's why I always do audio only with my interviews, but Andy was in insisted that we do video so i was like oh wait just hang on for a second and i had to like go grab something presentable to me on video um and also remember if you are listening i have that six week nutrition course if you want to sign up for free and learn a thing or two uh about long-term behavioral change for fat loss in my opinion be sure to hit the show notes and click that link and sign up and that is it for me this week until next time you guys